Okay, so we are in lesson four, part four, of this series that we're doing through Henry Scudder's book, The Christian's Daily Walk. Walking with God is the title of this whole series. And so we've gone through some introductory things. Yesterday we were looking at some uh, matters of beginning the day with God, starting the day with the Lord. And just as a reminder for some of you that weren't here last week, we spoke just a very little bit about a subject called casuistry. And for just a very simple definition, casuistry is how we apply the law, specifically in the Bible context, how we apply the law of God. And so there are situations where People make a mistake where there is a situation and last time this is what we did. And here comes a situation that's similar, so this time we have to do the same thing. And that's not necessarily the case. And I use the illustration as it applies to to this. And and the reason I want to uh, explain this at the beginning is because I don't want any of the practical comments that Henry Scudder makes to come across in a spirit of bondage. Because what Scudder is is recommending are really excellent, good, and holy recommendations to the believer as to how they ought to live. But there's a little bit of a danger where a preacher, Sunday school teacher, whatever, says, you know, a believer, you ought to always start your day with the Lord. Well, of course you should, right? But that does not mean that if you get up out of bed and go hit the button on your coffee maker, that somehow you're in sin and you're making provisions for the flesh before you make provisions for the spirit. Like, I can't get out of bed until I pray first, or I can't do anything until I read my Bible first. I want to avoid that kind of bondage mentality in these recommendations because the nature of what Scudder is recommending in these books, a very weak-conscienced believer could take these things as, well, this is gospel truth, this is what I'd have to do. On the other hand, I don't want to overstate that part of it and say, none of these recommendations really even matter, just leave it, and you know this is just a, a fancy, happy thought. So what we're coming to today is the, the second part of what he talks about of beginning the day with the Lord, and he mentions specifically beginning the day with prayer. And he, again, he gives some very practical recommendations, some very practical ideas for you, for me, to implement into our lives as we seek to walk with the Lord. I think I said last week that I first read this book, uh, it would have been probably 1998, 1999, somewhere in there. Um, Between then and a couple of weeks ago when I started it again, I've picked up the book and looked at it. But as I was reading it again and starting into it again, I realized, you know, these things, I remember him talking about these things. And over the years, 
those things have casually come to mind. Some of the things we mentioned last week, they've, they've casually come to mind. It's not that every single morning I do all of those things. And I don't think that's the way he presents it as well. But these are very practical considerations for us. And so if we're going to begin our day with the Lord, then it makes all the sense in the world to begin our day by speaking with him, by having some kind of communion and fellowship with him on some level, to some degree. You know, Amos tells us that two can't walk together unless they're in agreement. There has to be some previous arrangement made, some previous plan made, some previous agreement made as to where we're going, what time we're going to be there, how we're going to get there, some plans of the details. Well, if, if your day is in front of you and you want to walk with the Lord in that day, then there needs to be some communication and some level of fellowship with the Lord as you begin that day. So we're talking about prayer, really. And just consider what the catechism says prayer is. I've put that in your notes, I believe. Let me get my copy of your notes out so I know what you're looking at. Um, So yeah, that second paragraph. So the catechism says prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. This is what prayer is. And you're going to see some connection of what he's recommending and how that goes with prayer. But ultimately, prayer aligns our wills with God's will. Prayer is not me seeking God and somehow twisting God's arm behind his back and getting him to do something that he wouldn't, he wouldn't normally ordinarily do. We're not coercing God. We're not demanding God. We're not, we're not bossing him around. Prayer really is a humbling of ourself before the Lord and a two-way communication. We are, we are speaking to him, but he by his spirit is communicating to us, guiding in our praying, and in our praying, molding and shaping our thinking, aligning our wills to his wills. It is also one of the primary means of grace, of how the Lord communicates the benefits of redemption to us as believers. So it makes good sense for us to begin the day this way with prayer. And so before Scudder even gets to the actual praying part, he lays out some very practical ideas, some very practical recommendations of what to do even before you pray. Things to think about, a thought process to go to. And he even makes the point that, so he writes like three pages, and then he he has a little paragraph where he says, these things shouldn't take a long time. This isn't something that, you know, you're you're just mulling over for, you know, 30 minutes or, or an hour before you ever pray. But what he recommends is just a, a focus on these things before and as you enter into prayer. And so I've rephrased these a little bit, tried to modernize some of the language a little bit and and put it a little bit better in our context. But the first one he gets to is, is basically the idea of meditating on God's truth. So before you even pray, before you ever say, 
Dear Father in heaven, think about these things. So the first one is to consider the ground and warrant that you have to come before the Lord in prayer. You think of this just in a practical illustration. You know, you take the CEO of, you know, whatever company. None of us can just walk in there. Darren's, he's in the other room. Darren works for Wells Fargo. Darren can't just walk into the CEO's office at Wells Fargo, even though Darren's an employee there. He doesn't just march into the CEO's office at Wells Fargo. He doesn't have any appointment. He doesn't have any right to just barge in, as it were, and talk to this very important man, whatever. Well, consider the fact that when we pray, we're coming to the God of heaven. Now, there's this wrong thinking in, in some circles um, with this, the, the New Testament phrase whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And the, the way it's normally presented is Abba is like the word of a baby. It's like the first word a baby says. You're like, Dada, Abba. So, so this is just Daddy. Right? We're, we're coming to our dad. Well, one, that's that close to a little bit of blasphemous idea, sacrilegious at best. But it's also, you don't understand Aramaic. The word is Aramaic, Ava. It literally translates the father. It is actually a very reverential term, not a familiar term, the, the, Hebrew, or the, the Aramaic word that's used there. And so consider the fact that you come before the God of heaven when you pray. And so what is your ground? What is your authority to come before the God of heaven? And so then your mind is flooded with all that Christ has done to earn this place for you. And so you remember that the only reason that you can approach this holy God is because of what Christ has done for you. That you have a mediator. There is only one mediator between God and men, and you have one in Christ. He is your great high priest. He is one who has perfectly satisfied God's law. He is one seated at the right hand of the Father that is there making intercession for you, but also pleading the merits of his own blood. You, as a believer, are clothed in the righteousness of Christ... You are accepted in heaven because of Christ, and therefore you do have warrant and boldness to come and to seek him in prayer. So just remember that before you pray. The second thing he recommends, and this is where it gets very convicting, that is resolve to be honest with yourself. Resolve to be honest with yourself. Now, part of our praying is a confession of our sins. And the fact is, God already knows your heart. God already knows everything that is in you. He knows everything about you. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians 11. Let's look at a passage here. 1 Corinthians 11 is in the the larger context of the Lord's table. And you remember one of the admonitions that's given to us before we come to the Lord's table is that we'd not eat and drink unworthily, but we're admonished there to examine ourselves. 
So look at verse 29. I've put verse uh, 31 in your, in your notes here. Verse 29, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And so it's in this context of, I'm sorry, if we go back to verse 28, I should have picked up there, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So the, the judging ourselves in verse number 31 is really this same idea of examining ourselves. If we would examine ourselves, if we would be honest with ourselves, honest with our own sinfulness, honest with our own condition before God, then God would not execute that examination on us. We've, we've examined ourselves really is, is the idea and the context here. So it is to acknowledge our own sin, to acknowledge our own attitudes, to acknowledge our own motives, and to simply be honest with ourselves of where we are before the Lord. And then that spills over into point C here, and he recommends consider your obedience to God's law. Now, with this, one of the things he says is that as a believer, you should know the Ten Commandments so well, you should be so familiar with the Ten Commandments that you can easily rattle off the duties required and the sins forbidden. Duties required and the sins forbidden. And we've talked about the law of God many times in different contexts. And what I mean by duties required and sins forbidden, thou shalt not kill, the the sin forbidden is... Thou shalt not kill. The duty required is thou shalt preserve life. You have a responsibility to love your neighbor in such a way that you do them no harm. And to harm your neighbor is headed in the direction of killing your neighbor. And therefore, we have that responsibility. So each of the Ten Commandments has both sides. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Well... Thou shalt have God as your God. Right? That, that's the requirement of that commandment. And so as a believer, we should be so familiar with God's law in such a way that we can think through those, think through your life, think through yesterday, how did it go? Did I, did I pursue God? As, as my only God? Or is there something that happened yesterday where I fell into covetousness? Did I esteem God in, in the right way? Or, or, or did I in some way take his name in vain? Did I honor the authority that's over me? Did I love my neighbor? Was I chaste and pure? Was I, you know, did I steal? Or, or did I promote my neighbor's welfare? And you think through those things of of how yesterday went. And then you anticipate today. What is my day going to look like? What's on my calendar? What things do I have to do? What situations might come up where, you know, I need to make sure in that situation that I respond rightly to this authority so that I'm not guilty of breaking 
that commandment of honoring my father and my mother, honoring those that are in authority over me. I need, I need to be careful in this. I know I've got this situation. I know I'm going to have to have this conversation. Or I know I'm going to be in this place. I know I'm going to do this thing. So I need to be careful. I need, I need to be on guard and watch myself. And remember, this goes back to one of those foundational principles that we talked about a couple lessons ago of what it is to walk with God. It, it is to fear the Lord. It, it is to factor God into every circumstance and situation of life. And it is also to live your life in such a way that you're, you're actually paying attention to your spiritual welfare and your spiritual condition. And so really here is, is where a lot of this rubber meets the road. Talking about considering the, the day before you, you know, you probably heard the quotation, if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. A wise man considers what lies ahead and he makes preparations for that. He, he, he considers the future. He, he counts the cost of what lies ahead. And so in that, when, when trouble or when temptation comes, you're ready. You've at least thought about it. Now, let me illustrate this very simply for you with Daniel. So Daniel, at around 13 or so years old, was hijacked from Jerusalem, taken as a slave into Babylon. And of all the people that were taken, he was selected out and put into the king's court. And there's a whole bunch of them, but Daniel had three specific friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There are a whole bunch of others, but those four are singled out for us in the scripture. And a situation came where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel were, were told, okay, we're putting you through this special regiment of training and this course and all this stuff, and you're going to live in this special housing, and, and we're going to train and develop you to work in the king's court. And, and by the way, here's your supper. And Daniel's mind had already been made up. Daniel had already, the King James phrase, purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat. And so what that tells us is that Daniel had already thought through life events. If I'm ever faced with this, this is the decision that I've already decided I'm going to make. And it was simple. Him. Daniel did not have to, you know, it didn't put Daniel into a tailspin when he was faced with this temptation. If I can put it this way, Daniel didn't have to go pray about it. He already knew what to do. His mind had already been made up, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to obey in this. And so Daniel had purposed in his heart. You take another illustration of Christ when he's there in the wilderness. When Satan came with the three temptations, Christ was a man whose mind had already been made up. He, he already had a ready answer from Scripture against Satan's temptations. And so, again, this comes down to us as something that's extremely practical. Not that every single morning you sit there and you, you know, with your notebook and your T-chart, here's how I've broken the law, here's how I've kept the law, and your, you know, minutes or whatever a day with these things. But you're riding a car somewhere, 
You have quiet moments. Right? Would these things come to your mind? And just imagine the spiritual benefit that would be to you. If you spent a few moments thinking about these things. You know, let, me, let me list out the Ten Commandments. How am I doing? How many of these have I broken yesterday? What do I have on my plate today that these commandments apply to? And how can I already think ahead in this situation that I'm going to be presented with? I want to do the right thing. I want to respond rightly. I want to, I want to answer rightly. I want to treat this person rightly. I want to be above board in all these things. Now, you know, again, I, I come back to what I said earlier, you know, the, the casuistry part. This could put a person in a lot of bondage, and that's not what we're aiming at at all. That's not the focus. Because that comes to D here. And that is before you pray and after you think on these things, lest you be discouraged, remember the forgiveness you have in Christ. And so if you're like me, you consider your obedience to the law and... Man, I'm not doing too hot. I'm not doing very well at all sometimes. And you think about yesterday and all the times you did this, that, or the other thing that was sinful and wrong. It can be very discouraging. But stop and consider the fact that as one who has been born again, your sins are forgiven. They've been blotted out. Christ's blood has been shed. And in a legal standing with God, you are justified. God sees you as righteous as he sees Christ. You are, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You are in him. And, and, and nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And so you remember that in, in, in the aftermath of, I'm a horrible human being. I've broken all these laws. I'm a horrible human being. This situation's going to happen today, and I don't want to be nice to that person. This situation's going to come, and I don't, I don't want to do that, but I know that that is the right thing. You know, this is what Pastor Kimbrough was preaching about to some degree last week from the end of Romans 7. And Paul's wrestling in his own heart of, you know, there's these things that I know God has commanded, and I'm not doing it. There's this stuff that I know God requires of me, and I'm not doing that either. I'm, I'm failing on both sides. Oh, wretched man that I am. Right? And if you do see, point C, consider your obedience to God's law. If you do that, and you're honest with yourself, you're going to realize you're a horrible human being. You know, I'm a horrible human being, but I'm a saved human being. I'm a justified human being. I have right standing with God because of Christ. You look at me and I'm, I'm a wretch, but God doesn't view me in me. He views me in Christ. He views me through, through the lens, as it were, of Christ. And in him, I'm, I'm righteous. I'm holy. I'm justified. Now, 
That doesn't mean, right, Romans 6, that doesn't mean, well, let us sin that grace may abound. That doesn't mean that, well, it doesn't matter. God sees me as righteous, so I can do whatever I want to do. Of course not. That's ridiculous. That's my translation of may it never be. Right? <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's not the right way to think. And you know that. And so I think these admonitions, I think these recommendations, I think they're great. That you would spend time thinking about these things even before you come to pray. And then moving on to number two. After he says meditate on on gospel truths, number two, consider what responsibilities you have during the day. Now, this is different than C of consider what situation and how to rightly obey God's law. Obviously, there's some overlap in, in this. But what he's talking about here in this of before you pray, and he says consider what responsibilities you have during the day. Really, what he's talking about is making a, a mental list, if you will, of what do I need the Lord's help with today? You know, I've separated these into two things, your family and your work. Right? So your family, for example. Godliness starts at home. Godliness starts at home. I think too many, I'm guilty of this. I think we all are to some degree. We put on a way better front out in public than I do at 5865 Woodsway Drive. Sometimes at 5865 Woodsway Drive, I'm not a very nice person. My kids know that. My wife knows that. But at 3030 Burke Mill Road, <laughs> I try to be a nice guy. Right? I hope you all think I'm a nice guy. Right? But we all, we all put on a show out in public. That's wrong. That's hypocritical. Anyway, we're all hypocrites to, to one degree or another. But really, godliness starts at home. And so, you know, you break this down, start with the men, because the buck stops here. Right? As husbands, we have responsibilities. As a husband, you have a responsibility to love your wife as Christ loves the church. You have that responsibility. That's a, that's a tough, tough responsibility. You are required in the scripture to dwell with her according to knowledge. That's a tough, a, a tough command from Scripture. Lydia and I were talking about that verse the other day, and she was listening to some podcast thing, and she told me the name. I don't remember who it was. Anyway, the guy said, another way to translate that is men stop being idiots. Right? <laughs> Dwell with your wife according to knowledge. Quit being an idiot. Know your wife. Know what she needs. So, Wives, you have responsibilities to honor, to reverence your husband, to submit to his authority, to have a meek and quiet spirit, to be a keeper at home. All, all these things that the Bible commands wives to do, all these things the Bible commands husbands to do. As fathers and mothers, we have responsibilities to our children. We're, we're to raise them, to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We are to, to guide them into godliness we are to, as they come of age and circumstances change and needs of life change, we, we are to give them wise counsel. 
you can't give wise counsel unless you yourself are getting wise counsel from, from the scriptures, from the word of God preached, and, and that wise counsel filters down to the next generation, as it were. We all have these things. We have a responsibility to teach our children how to deal with and handle conflict by them seeing us deal with and handle conflict in a right and godly way. We have all these needs in the day, in the family. And as you pray, you would pray, Lord, help me in, in these different things. Now, if you're 25 with a two-year-old, or if you're 65 empty nester, that prayer is going to look very different. That, that prayer for me as a husband, that prayer for me as a father, that prayer for me as a grandpa, that prayer for me as an aunt or uncle, whatever, that prayer is going to look different based on stage of life. But it's important to, to think through those needs. In your work, consider what conversations you're going to have with coworkers. Ask the Lord, how can I be a better worker? How can I be a better leader? How can I be a better boss? How can I, I deal with my employees or, or coworkers in a way that is godly and equitable? How can I better influence them for Christ? How can I treat my customers in a way that's right and godly? How can I be diligent at the workplace and not waste time? You know, and you think through these things even before you pray and you would seek the Lord for help in, in those areas. Again, these are just very practical recommendations that he gives in this book, written over 200 years ago. Right? And we're, this could have been written yesterday. It could have been written tomorrow. There's nothing new under the sun. Circums- you know, things don't change in that way. We need the Lord's help for all this. And then just to wrap up quickly in the next couple minutes here, uh, Roman numeral three, this preparation increases faith and boldness in prayer. Now, we're told in Hebrews to come boldly before the throne of grace. Boldly, I think you all know, is that word for confidence, to come with confidence before the throne of grace. Well, as a Christian, there's a sense in which you should always be ready to pray. So, you know, Wednesday night prayer meeting, and Pastor Kimbrough says, okay, so-and-so, will you lead us out in prayer? Everybody should be ready to pray. You know, pray without ceasing. Be instant in season, out of season. Be ready to pray. But meditating on these things, just, just taking up these practical ideas, not all of them every day, Maybe you don't get to all of them every week. But as the Lord would bring them to your mind and you meditate on these things and you've already thought through in your own mind all these, it greatly helps that confidence in prayer. I've been redeemed. I'm justified. I've done all this bad stuff. But the Lord's forgiven me of that. And Lord, here I come before you again, asking for help not to make those same sins again, not to fall into the same thing, not to treat this person this way again. It's especially true as you meditate on the work of Christ for you and the forgiveness that you have. And then he he finishes this little section just by 
really summarizing it all, that this preparation helps your walk with God. Because if you do these things on any regular basis, your walk with the Lord has to be better. If you, with, with some regularity, survey God's law and you're measuring up to it, well, you, you don't measure up to it. You failed. Of course you did. Fine. Not fine, but you know what I mean. Fine. You, you broke God's law. But you, th- you, you think through those, and as a believer, well, you don't want to. And you're, you're conscious. You're conscientious. You're, you're living on purpose to obey. You're thinking through, this is what God would have me do. Last time, I didn't do it. Lord, with your help, I'm going to change. Lord, this is repentance. This is, this is confession of sin. This is walking in new obedience. This is very practical Christian living. And this is what Henry Scudder is getting at. Constantly evaluating your obedience to the Lord promotes a holy life. It promotes godly living. It enables and helps a walk with God that I trust we all want, we all desire. And so may the Lord help us to walk with him. Amen. We'll close here and move on to the next part next week. But let's close in prayer now. And then um, have time for fellowship before the service starts. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you that you and your word have directed us how we are to live. You've told us that a young man can cleanse his way by taking heed to your word. And so we pray that all of us, young men, old men, women, boys and girls, we would all pay attention to your word, take heed to it, and seek to walk in obedience. We ask that even through this study, through this book, that you would increase our desire to walk with you. And we pray that you'll bless the service to follow. We pray for our brother Logan as he preaches this morning, that you would fill him with your spirit, give him words that we need, and speak through him. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.